Good morning, everyone, here and online. I have to give you a quick joke. Um, I prepared this presentation for Women's History Month, March, but it's May, so we're going to keep on going. Um, I had planned to do a women's history presentation in March, but now it's May, and I wanted to share my research on these amazing UU women who were, I was unaware of their contributions, and two of them were from my hometown, New York City. Um, there, there are so many other amazing UU women that Becky talked about, and they were on my list too. And there also were absolutely fantastic UU men too, so we're not leaving you out. But of course, remember, this was supposed to be Women's History Month. <laughs> That'll be another one. I've chosen three women that made me um, remember my reasons for being so active in all the places that I lived, New York City, Idaho, New Mexico. And for all those who don't know me, who think I'm a quiet black female who just came here, I've been here for 20 years, and the UU Church has helped me become even more powerful and more supported, so I wanted to know who, who I am. I'm also a worship associate this year, and I also try to help the children's uh, RE program too. This is my church. This is who I love. This is where I need to be. And I'm hoping other, other people will consider coming, joining, volunteering. So here are these three amazing women among so many that I wanted to share their stories. The first one was Sarah Josephine Baker. Poughkeepsie, New York. Sarah, Sarah was born to a wealthy Quaker family. Her father and brother died of typhoid fever. The story goes that at 16, she convinced her mom and sister that she could support them if she could pursue a career in medicine. She studied chemistry and biology at home. Who does that besides people in Los Alamos? I don't know. <laughs> she studied, chem um, she enrolled in New York, the New York Infirmary Medical College, a medical school for women, founded by women, and she graduated second in her class. I don't know how many was in that class. She practiced as a private physician in New York City, and in 1901, she passed a civil service exam, which I kind of remember that, and she qualified to be a medical inspector at the Department of Health. She was known as Dr. Joe. However, New Yorkers knew she was known as a lesbian too at that time. Long time we've been fighting for this. She practiced, um, she wore masculine tailored suits and as I said, she was known as Dr. Joe. Wow. Sarah helped catch Mary Malone, also known as Typhoid Mary, twice in her career. She was the first known carrier to be healthy, but every time she was released, every time she was in the public as a cook, she infected over 50 people. And eventually she had to be um, kept someplace permanently. Another story, you'll have to read that. Sarah noticed as she was this um, person for New York to help to help in health care, that the rate in Hell's Kitchen was over 4,000 people dying every week. 
At that time, Hell's Kitchen, I'm a native New Yorker, um, was working class poor and Irish Americans. She first looked at the inf and, uh, infant mortality rate and realized there was over 1,500 kids dying on a, uh, on a yearly basis. And she thought, when she looked and did the research, she realized it was basically, basically um, being caused by dysentery. Sarah and a group of nurses started to train mothers in how to care for their babies, how to clothe them, keep a check on their temperature so they're not too cold, not too hot, how to feed them a good diet based on what they had, and how to avoid suffocating them while they were sleeping, and how to keep them clean. It worked. But then she wasn't finished. She did more. She found that the commercial milk was often contaminated or mixed with chalky water to improve the color and, of course, maximize profit. So what did she do? She set up a milk station where clean milk was given out for the moms and families. But she did more. She also was credited for inventing an infant formula made out of water, calcium carbonate, lactose, and cow's milk. This allowed mothers to be able to go to work, help support their families, and still breastfeed. And she did more. Next, she aided in the prevention of infant blindness. There was something of a scourge caused by gonorrhea bacteria, which was usually trans transferred to babies during birth. To prevent this, <clears throat> to prevent this, doctors were giving babies drops of silver nitrate in their eyes to help prevent this or to correct this. But it appeared it wasn't working. Sarah discovered that the bottles were unsanitary and or the doses were too highly concentrated. So what did she do? Sarah designed and used small containers made out of antibiotic beeswax. Each held a single dose of silver nitrate, so the medication would stay at a level of concentration, at a known level of concentration, and could not be contaminated. Records showed that blindness in infants decreased from 300 babies per year to three. Wow. But that wasn't enough. She also noticed that many of these babies were being delivered by midwives with other issues. Sarah did the unthinkable, because I'm from New York and I know. <laughs> she convinced New York City to help train and license midwives to ensure some degree of quality and expertise in delivering babies. It helped. While Sarah was doing all of this, <laughs> she remembered an experience she was having or experience in public schools where they were having issues with head lice and eye infections. So what did she do? She helped to make sure that each school had its own doctor and nurse and that the children were routinely checked. This is all in Hell's Kitchen that she's practicing this stuff, which of course we use today. This system worked so well that head lice and eye infections was almost 
no longer an issue. Sarah spent most, much of her later life with a young lady called Ida Alexander Ross Wiley. She was a Hollywood scriptwriter from Australia who identified herself in this early as a woman-oriented woman. Little was known about Sarah because it appears that she destroyed all of her personal papers. I found her to be a genius, a compassionate woman doctor who was able to survive, thrive, and was respected in the medical world as a lesbian living with a partner on her own terms in my hometown. Dr. Baker was a Unitarian for many years, and she is recorded and noted in our UU papers. Our next person of interest that I fell in love with was Mary White Ovalton. New York, Brooklyn. And here's her story. Her parents were members of the Unitarian Church and supported women's rights in the anti-slavery movement. She attended Packer Collegiate Institute and Radcliffe College. Mary was a suffrage journalist, and then she got involved in the civil rights movement. After hearing Frederick Douglass speak in a church in 1890, and later she further was inspired after hearing Booker T. Washington speak in New York City in a club. Over the next few years, she studied employment and housing issues of black Americans in Manhattan. In 1894, Mary met Ida B. Wells, another prominent black woman, if you don't know, while taking Christmas presents to Ida's sister's children. She was appalled at the living conditions of the tenements, the apartments. She started working with Ida to force the city to improve and update these tenements, which my family probably benefited from since I was born and raised in Harlem, New York City. Later, later on, she met W.E. Du Bois, who introduced her to the founding members of the Niagara Movement. Now, the Niagara Movement was a group of prominent black intellectuals in New York, led by W.E. Du Bois. And their purpose was to form an organization calling for civil and political rights for black people. In September of 1908, Mary read an article written by socialist William English Walling. And his article was titled, Race War in the North. It was written in a paper called the Independent Paper. And Walling described a massive, and this has happened many times, but this is the first time Mary got with of this. Um, Walling described a massive race riot by whites directed at black, black residents in the hometown of Abraham Lincoln, Springfield, Illinois. It led to seven deaths, the destruction of 40 homes, black homes, 
and 24 black businesses destroyed and 107 indictments against rioters, which is incredible. Don't know if they ever served any time, but they were charged. Walling ended the article by calling for a powerful body of citizens to come to the aids of blacks. And guess who responded? Mary. Mary was moved. She was touched. She was already involved. And she wrote Walling back, and she said, I want to help. And eventually, there was a meeting in New York City in, an, in his apartment, Walling, Walling's apartment, along with a social worker called Dr. Henry Moskowitz and others. The group decided to launch a campaign by issuing a call for a national conference on the civil and political rights of black people. And they did it on the centennial, and they did it on the centennial of Lincoln's birthday, February the 12th, 1909. Check it out. Now, the National Negro Committee held its first meeting in New York on May 31st and June 1st of 1909. In one year, with the help of Mary and others, the National Negro Committee and attendance at the second conference organized a permanent body known as the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. That was Mary. That was Mary. Yes. I've got goosies right now because I did not know that. Um, Mary was appointed as its executive secretary. Mary also served as a board member and chairman. She inspired other women to join of other nationalities to this organization, and in doing so, made a significant contribution to the multicultural composition of this organization today. She served this organization for 38 years. Thank you, Mary. And if anyone wants to know why I step up, why I say things, why I do things, New York, Mary, Andrea. I am also a member of the NAACP, which is in Santa Fe, and we've been fighting for rights like this since 1900, even though it goes back. UUs have been there all the time. And finally, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, a black woman who was Christian and an activist and a Unitarian, and she never gave up. Frances was a black woman born to free parents. Her mother died when she was three, and she was raised by her aunt and uncle, who instilled in her strong ethics and a strong abolitionist consciousness. Christian ethics. In 1850, she taught domestic science at a seminary school affiliated with the AME Church. And in Idaho, I used to teach home ec, and then it changed to family consumer science. And so when I saw domestic science, I had to look that up. So it's home ec, it's family consumer science. So for all you moms and dads here in the home, you now can be considered a domestic scientist. How about that? They'll never know what you're talking about. Anyway, back to the story. Francis met someone who helped refugee slaves make their way along the 
Underground Railroad. Her part was different because she wasn't that activist walking and talking. She did it with her words. She started writing anti-slavery literature and later joined the American Anti-Slavery Society in 1853. So women, we've been working a long time. Which is where she began her career as a public speaker and a political activist. And then after the Civil War ended, Frances moved to the South to teach newly freed black people during the Re Reconstruction area, era. In 1870, she worked with the Freedmen's Bureau, encouraging many black people in Mobile, Alabama. Her, her, her slang, her, her thing, her words were, to get land, everyone can. She encouraged black people to get land because they could vote and act independently once Congress passed the 15th Amendment. So once again, fighting for our voting rights. She was active in many black organizations and she felt that black reformers had to set their own priorities. She was also active and helped organize events and programs for the women's, for the National Women's Christian Temperance Union, which is really was reform in a social group with the Christian Christianity as a base. Um, she promoted the collective action of all women as a matter of both justice and morality. So just for you folks to remember, as a retired teacher that I loved, the suffrage, suffragist movement was white women, but they were, it was hard for them to support black women. There were so many things going on, and most of the white suffragists was not able to support black women. She said, we're gonna support everybody, and she stood for that. So, Frances said she couldn't go for that. She made sure everybody knew that she stood for all women of all colors and nationality being equal and having the same rights. She campaigned not only for racial and sexual equality, but also, this is interesting, she also campaigned for a new understanding of the federal government's responsibility to protect rights, regulate morality, and promote social welfare. In 1891, Francis delivered this powerful speech to the National Council of Women of America. That's all of them. She was invited in Washington, D.C., and she demanded justice and equal protection by the law for black people. And in her speech, she said the following. Pretty heavy. In 1891, this black woman stood up in front of everyone and said the following. As long as there, as long as there are such cases as moral irresponsibility, mental imbecility, as long as Potiphar's wife, which is a figure in the Hebrew Bible and the Quran, stands in the world's pillory of shame, no man should be deprived of life or liberty without due process of the law, 1891. And she goes on, a government 
which has power to tax a man in peace and draft him in war, should have power to defend his life in the hour of peril. We don't see that today. And she, and she goes on. A government which can protect and defend its citizens from wrong and outrage and does not is vicious. A government which would do it and cannot is weak. And where human life is insecure through either weakness or viciousness in the administration of law, there must be a lack of justice. And where, there, and where this is wanting, nothing can make up the deficiency. She was an active member in the Unitarian Church. I was blown away by the words above by Francis because in 1891, black people, women, many people were calling for justice and equality, voting rights, women rights. And today is May 28, 2023. Where are we now? Why are we here? What the hell is going on? 132 years and the tent is much bigger now. And we are all calling for the same thing. Let's work together to get it done. And one more thing that will be a little bit more uplifting. Something else I found that I wasn't too sure. Barack Obama, Barack Obama has a connection to us too. You didn't know that. Not only is he a Leo like me, but Barack Obama's mother grew up attending a Unitarian church in Bellevue, Washington. Obama lived with, his, with her parents, Stanley and Madeline Durham, in Hawaii in 71 and 72, when he attended the Sunday school at First Unitarian Church in Honolulu. And from 1975 until his high school graduation in 1979, he, was, he knows about us. He's a UU too in his heart. Obama mentions his grandparents. I've got both books. You should get them. Excellent read. Obama mentions his grandparents' involvement with the Unitarian Universalists in Dreams from My Father. And he also describes his mother's religious worldview and her impact on him in the audacity of hope. I have been inspired by these women's stories, their intelligence, their perseverance, their commitment to humanity, to justice, to equality, regardless of color and regardless of class. I continue to try to be my best and help others. I continuously stand up and speak when I need. Each one of them had their own superpower and they used it. What's yours? Come share it with us. Come volunteer with us. Come help our community be a just community and fight the struggles that we have now today. May it be so.